0: everyone, welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. This episode, part one of In the Locker Room with Jerry Levias. We take a look at the life and career of Texas Sports Hall of Famer Jerry Levias. The Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco, Texas, and when you do, book your stay at the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Hi everybody, welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. I'm your host, Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, as well as writer-director of We Were the Oilers the Love You Blue era. This episode, part one of In the Locker Room with Jerry Levias. Jerry Levias, SMU football legend and also Southwest Conference football legend, not only for his play on the field, but also being the first black scholarship athlete to play Southwest Conference football. Jerry Levias had a tremendous college career, three times All-Southwest Conference and a consensus All-American in his senior season of 1968. When SMU hired 35 year old Hayden Fry as their football coach before the 1962 season, Fry had one stipulation. He said he had to be able to recruit black athletes to play football at SMU. The school agreed, and Jerry Levias would play an important part in college football history. Jerry would also go on to play pro football for the Houston Oilers and the San Diego Chargers, and of course, earn a spot in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. In this episode, part one of In the Locker Room with Jerry Levias, we'll look at Jerry's life before enrolling at SMU and how Hayden Fry recruited Jerry out of Hebert High School in Beaumont, Texas. Imagine being told you were too sickly to play football in high school, too black to play in some major college conferences. too small to play in the NFL. Would you just quit? Or would you take the journey and prove them all wrong? Next, picture obstacles sometimes larger than you or anyone else imagined. Would you still press on? This is the Jerry Levias story. Jerry Levias was born in Texas in 1946. He spent some of his earliest years living on a farm with his grandparents and without electricity.
1: What a great experience growing up to grow up without electricity into plumbing and no automobile. We lived off the, the land, we lived off the farm. I saw how they made sausage and you know put stuff in the smokehouse and how people didn't have refrigeration would keep things cool and put potatoes in the ground and making soap. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, a wooden stove. My grandmother's making quilts. Uh, We grew everything uh, that we ate. I look back on it and got more appreciation for what you have and uh, the advancements that have been made.
0: When the family had to travel to a nearby town, Jerry remembers traveling by mule and wagon. He also remembers sundown laws, which were common at the time.
1: You go to town, and you learn about racism. You had to be out of town by five o'clock.
0: Jerry moved in with his parents and started school in Beaumont at age seven. Health problems challenged him in grade school.
1: And I remember I was sick and I couldn't walk, and my grandmother would pray for me, and they would have that homemade medicine man, and she would pray, and he took me to the hospital. By the time they got through unwrapping all those greens and all that stuff my grandmother had put on them, man, you had a a mess of vegetables, and it worked better than some of the medicines they had today.
0: Jerry's illness stunted his development and made it difficult for him to walk.
1: But I had health issues, and at that time they called it polio. My legs weren't developing, and you know, that kind of stuff, very weak, and had braces for a while.
0: The teasing and bullying that Jerry received compounded the problem. He says that first through fifth grade was a horrible experience for him. Thankfully, he recovered from the polio. The bullying continued, however, and Jerry hoped to attend a new school that was being built in Beaumont. Unfortunately, he didn't live within the new school's district. Jerry then learned there was one opportunity for him to attend the new school.
1: You could only go to the other school if you wanted to play in the band, because you didn't have that at this other elementary school which went to the eighth grade to so my mother. I wanted to join the band and it was about 150 bucks in. She worked so hard and got that 150 bucks so I could transfer. She got me transferred, you know, being a band, still can't play an instrument. Yeah, I know was never good on any of them. <laughs> I mean, everyone. Uh, but, you know, my purpose was just to get away.
0: Jerry had gotten away from the other school and he wanted to be close to his cousins, Miller Farr and Mel Farr, who played football. Like Jerry, both Miller and Mel would end up playing pro football. Jerry wasn't old enough to play yet, but he did find a way to be a coach's assistant.
1: I lived across the street, closer to the football field, and, you know, had a big coach, and name was Clifton Ozan, big fella, about six foot six, and he was real big. i Want to be close football team, so I would go bring him water. I'd go home and get some ice in a quart jar and bring him some water. So I became his official water boy. For him, not for the guys.
0: Jerry wouldn't stay water boy forever, though. It wasn't long before his football talents were noticed.
1: One day, I guess in about the eighth grade, I was out there to playing touch football with the other guys while the other guys practicing. One of the coaches said, you know, you ought to play football nah my mama didn't want me to play football. I was sick.
0: Still, Jerry wanted to play. So much so that he and his sister called a bit of an end-around play.
1: You'd have to get assigned permission so my sister forged it so I could try it out for, for football.
0: One of the first activities for team tryouts was stepping on the scale and weighing in.
1: You had to weigh 121 pounds. So I got on the scale and I weighed about uh, 115 I was so disappointed.
0: Not being able to step on the field because of his weight was a devastating blow to young Jerry's gridiron dreams. Then, from out of nowhere, Jerry had a flash of an idea and a glimmer of hope.
1: I was crying. I went outside and I sat down. And I saw this paper bag. And I got the paper bag, put a bunch of rocks in it. And I went back in and told the coaches, I said, your skill is wrong. That's wrong. I weigh more than that. I could could play football. I put rocks in my pocket and I had the bag in my pants with a bunch of rocks. I got on the scale and I weighed 119 pounds, still didn't make it. And I stomped off the scale and the bag broke. And all the rocks spread all over the floors and everybody laughed, <laughs> coach laughed and looked at me. I, I was in trouble and the coach said Is anybody want to play football this bad well, I'll give him a chance
0: a forged permission slip a humorous attempt at forging a weigh in and Jerry makes the team sounds like something a script writer might come up with late in the evening during his freshman season the coaches put him on varsity just to participate in the game day experience what ended up happening was a cross between something out of Friday night lights and the natural
1: we were In a game, one of the guys got hurt or something, and they put me in. Mel was the quarterback, so he gave me the ball on the first play, and I went uh, 65 yards. First time I ever touched the ball, and and there she wrote
0: A 65-yard touchdown by a freshman in a varsity game on his first-ever play from scrimmage. Let's not forget that only a few years previously, Jerry had been diagnosed with polio and needed braces to help him walk. Creating big plays became a hallmark of Jerry's career from high school through college and into the pros. Jerry played his high school football career for the Hebert High Panthers. Besides Jerry and his cousins Miller and Mel Farr, Hebert High would also produce other pro football players, including star receiver Warren Wells of the Oakland Raiders. Hebert owned a heated and storied rivalry with Crosstown opponent Charlton Pollard. Charlton Pollard also had its own brotherhood of future pro football players, including future NFL legend Bubba Smith and his brother Toady.
1: Charlton Pollard Bulldogs, yeah, and that's where Bubba and Toadie and everybody Crosstown, the only two black schools in Beaumont.
0: Many Texas school districts remained segregated in the mid-1960s when Jerry played high school football. The Prairie View Interscholastic League, otherwise known as the PVIL, governed black school athletics. The University Interscholastic League, known as the UIL, still exists today and governed white school athletics. PVIL and UIL schools didn't play each other and held their own all-star games and championships.
1: At that time, you had the PVIL, so you know our district consisted of people like Charlton Pollard, Put off to Lincoln, Emma Wallace, Orange, Texas, and then we played some schools out of Houston and Galveston.
0: While many Texas public school districts remained segregated, colleges moved towards integration. Jerry says older players inspired him as they received scholarship offers.
1: guy named Alvin LeBlanc. Carl Zinn, Warren Wells, those guys like that, they got scholarships. And Alvin LeBlanc, who was probably one of the first guys that got a scholarship to a integrated school, you know, because all the rest of the guys in the pre-59s went to Prairie View, Texas Southern, Grambling or Southern. But then Mel Miller, you know, Mel got to UCLA, Bubba Wood, Michigan State, and watching them Watching Miller play, watching Mel play, and uh, they left me then behind, that was my time.
0: As word about Jerry's speed and playmaking ability grew, so did the number of scholarship offers. When we come back, we'll take a look at those scholarship offers, why Jerry chose SMU, and how a high school All-Star game might have instigated change in Texas school athletics. When we return to part one of In the Locker Room with Jerry Levias on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North.
1: Hi guys, this is the Rocket, Roger Clemens, and you're listening to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast.
0: If you've enjoyed listening today please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. The museum tells the story of the greatest athletes and coaches in Texas history by using objects from its collection, which numbers over 15,000. And when you come to Waco, be sure and stay at the Hampton Inn Waco North, located just eight minutes from the museum on I-35. The Hampton Inn has recently been renovated and includes free hot breakfast, free Wi-Fi, and an indoor-outdoor pool. And since the Hampton Inn is the official hotel of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, you never know who you might bump into in the lobby. Hey, is that Earl Campbell? And now back to part one of In the Locker Room with Jerry Levias on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. We ended the last segment discussing the multitude of scholarship offers Jerry received.
1: I had a lot of scholarships, of course, from UCLA because that's where mayor went in Michigan and Washington State because my cousin, Clancy Williams, was at Washington State. My brother-in-law was at Washington State. I had Oregon I was basically, was going to go with Mel and go to UCLA.
0: College coaches showed up at Jerry's house unannounced in efforts to recruit Jerry. Coaches showing up on Sundays received a scolding from Jerry's mother.
1: Coaches used to be knocking on my door on Sunday morning, and they would say, Is Jerry in, you know, <laughs> my mama said, no, he's in church, and that's where you should be.
0: When Hayden Fry threw his hat in the ring late in the recruiting season, Jerry had never even heard of SMU. In fact, he knew next to nothing about the Southwest Conference.
1: I had never heard of SMU. Doug Walker, never heard of him either. You know, I didn't even know what an Aggie was. Never heard of Baylor. Never heard of any of those schools. You know, university of Texas is a state university. And I think they won a championship earlier before then. And everybody's talking about the University of Texas. But I couldn't go. We followed every school. That had black players. Minnesota, Sandy Stevens, and you know guys like that. Gale Sayers at Kansas and other people. But Southwest Conference schools, we never did follow. I couldn't tell you who was in the conference.
0: Sandy Stevens quarterbacked the University of Minnesota to two Rose Bowls and one national championship in the early nineteen sixties. And of course, you probably know that Gale Sayers is one of the greatest running backs of all time. Furthermore. Jerry stated that he had planned to go to UCLA following in the footsteps of his cousin Mel Farr. So it's easy to wonder how Coach Hayden Fry got Jerry Levias interested into coming to SMU and playing in a conference he knew very little about. Especially considering that Jerry had plenty of scholarship opportunities from schools within conferences he did follow, such as the Big Ten, the Big Eight, and the Athletic Association of Western Universities, now known as the Pac-12. Well, for starters, it probably helped that Coach Fry didn't come visit on a Sunday. But when Hayden Fry arrived at the LeVias residence with assistant coach Chuck Curtis, it did cause a bit of a commotion. Here comes uh, about one, two, about three carloads.
1: One was the superintendent of school district, Sparky Adams, and Hayden Fry and Chuck Curtis get out Chuck Curtis was, you know, six foot something, had on a big Texas Ranger hat. And all the neighbors come out on the porch wondering, what did Jerry do to police at the house? Because Chuck Curtis looked like a Texas Ranger. Some of them went over to my grandmother's house in the next door, and everybody thought it was police.
0: It would have been strange if it had been the police. As alluded to before, he went to church regularly, and he was also a great student. In fact, he graduated in the top three of his class. When Coach Fry sat down with LeVias and his family, he talked about more than football.
1: Coach Fry was the only guy that talked to me about education. We talked about football, but mostly about education. And He had talked to my grandmother. They talked scripture and everything else, and she liked him, and she said, there's something about that man that I like.
0: Coach Fry also challenged Jerry with a serious question.
1: If you play football for me, you make the team, and if you're good enough, maybe you might make the pros what are you going to do with the rest of your life?
0: Jerry's campus visit was also different than the ones he experienced at other colleges.
1: And instead of doing a visit like most college visits, you go to a party and you go to this. And I spent uh, a couple of hours in a seminar, and no one had ever done it before.
0: The seminar was an educational seminar called The Nature of Man. Jerry was impressed by the seminar and the fact that Coach Fry talked to him about education. Furthermore, his grandmother and parents all took a liking to Coach Fry. SMU moved up Jerry's list of schools. The family then inquired about SMU's location.
1: My dad asked, where is SMU? And he said, in Dallas. And my dad said, that's when he's such the president, wasn't it?
0: Despite that reservation, Jerry signed a conference letter of intent to attend SMU. In those days... You had a conference letter of intent, which bound a player to one school within a conference, and then a national letter of intent, which, like in today's world, commits you to the university. Signing the conference letter of intent meant he couldn't sign with other Southwest conference schools. Of course, there weren't any other Southwest conference schools recruiting him. Jerry says he didn't understand the historical magnitude of playing at SMU until signing the conference letter of intent.
1: Yeah, I didn't know it was such a big thing because that wasn't one of the things that Coach Fry talked about. He didn't talk about breaking barriers. We didn't talk about that. Wasn't anything about breaking barriers of being the first doing this and what we're going to do. That wasn't even discussed. He talked about, you know, education. He prayed with my grandmother next door. You know, Aiden Fry was smart.
0: When Jerry learned of his status of being a trailblazer, he waited to sign the National Letter of Intent.
1: When all the hoopla started about being this first color guy to do this and first Negro to do this and that, yeah, I started putting all that together, but, uh, you know, well, I'm smart enough to know I didn't sign the National Letter of Intent. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, you had to sign the National Letter that to commit you. When they start talking about signing the National Letter of Intent, uh... Mm-mm.
0: The door remained open for Jerry to fully commit to UCLA, and UCLA coach Tommy Prothero still hoped Jerry would make big plays for him on the West Coast. Meanwhile, the PVIL and UIL invited players to their All-Star Games.
1: You know, we had a uh, PVIL All-Star Game, Prairie View Interscholastic League All-Star Game, and you had the UIL, which we couldn't play because it was all white. So then all of a sudden I get a letter And uh, they asked me to play in the Big 33, I'd never heard of it, so, you know, but uh, later on you find out uh, about it.
0: The Big 33 football classic is still played today. The game has featured future NFL stars Joe Montana, Tony Dorsett, Dan Marino, and Ben Roethlisberger. The 1964 Big 33 game matched a Texas high school All-Star team against a team of Pennsylvania All-Stars. Pennsylvania topped Texas 12-6. The loss infuriated the Texas coaching staff, which included NFL legends Bobby Lane and Doak Walker. The two wanted to set things in a winning direction for Texas in the 1965 Big 33, but felt restricted by two factors. One factor was that the UIL All-Star Game was scheduled on the same date. Most players stayed in Texas to play in the UIL game. So Bobby Lane and Doak Walker set up a meeting with Lane's friend, Texas Governor John Connolly. They knew Connolly had the power to change the date of the UIL All-Star Game and grant their second request.
1: They couldn't take the best players and play Pennsylvania. And so Docker and uh, Bob Lane got tired of it, so they went to Governor Connolly and they asked Governor Connolly, could he ask the UIL to reschedule the game so we could take our best players from Texas to play the best from Pennsylvania? And then, you know, Governor Conley said, yeah, I can, I think I can do that and everything. And they said, we need one more favor, Governor. He said, what's that say? We need us uh, some color boys. <laughs> so that's how I was chosen one of the first black players to play in the Big 33.
0: Bobby Lane had Jerry Levias specifically in mind when he asked for the expanded roster. He also included two or three other players from the PVIL on the squad. The Big 33 was covered nationwide, and for all the kids from Texas, it was a big deal to get to travel to Pennsylvania.
1: You know, for high school kids to get on the plane and go spend a week, two weeks in Pennsylvania getting ready for a football game. Oh yeah, it was very special. You know, you you go there and never played in organized football with white players.
0: We'll pause for a second to reflect on just how radical it was at the time for Jerry to be included on the Texas Big 33 All-Star Game roster. Remember, it had to be endorsed by the governor to happen. In Texas, and in many parts of the country in the mid-1960s, there were segregated hotels, restaurants, laundromats, bus stations, restrooms, water fountains. Segregation permeated society. And remember, like Jerry pointed out earlier, there were sundown towns, where blacks weren't allowed after dark. With all that in mind, one could argue that the Texas roster for the Big 33 game in 1965 might have been an early step towards merging the PVIL and the UIL.
2: At that point in time, we were not integrated in the state of Texas. And so this was the first time that they were going to allow African Americans uh, to play in a high school All-Star game.
0: That was Bill Bradley speaking. He went to high school in Palestine, Texas, and won the MVP award in the 1965 UIL All Star Game playing quarterback. Later, he played football for the Texas Longhorns and had an excellent pro career playing defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Bobby Lane had Bill on the Big 33 roster as a defensive back and punter. The team stayed at a building Milton Hershey built to house orphans. Bill remembers checking into the accommodations.
2: When I was signing in, they said, "Do you want a room with Mister Levis, Mister Jerry Levis?" I said, "Sure." I signed my paper, get my pillow, blanket, start to head to my room, and they call me back. The Pennsylvania people did. They called me back to the desk. Said, "Mister Bradley, are you sure you want a room with Mister Levis?" And I said, "Yeah." And started to walk off again. Well, was the second time they called me back, they said, "Now, Mister Bradley, you know he is uh, a colored boy," and I went, "Excuse me." And they said, he's a a black man. And I said, well, he's a football player, isn't he? And they said, yeah, he is. I said, of course I'll room with him. I said, I only know color of uniforms.
0: Rooming together at the Big 33 All-Star Game led to a lifelong friendship both men still enjoy today. And both Jerry and Bill recommended Jim Dent's book, The Kids Got It Right, for a deeper look into the Big 33 game and how the two of them became friends. Although the Texas roster had been improved, the game didn't start out as planned for the Texans. They fell behind early, and Jerry lobbied Doak Walker and Bobby Lane to make a change at quarterback.
1: We were falling behind, and I came to the sideline, and I told Doak Walker and Bobby Lane, put Bill in we can
0: play. Chris Gilbert, who would play with Bill Bradley at the University of Texas, seconded Jerry's motion. At halftime, Bobby Lane turned to Bill Bradley.
2: He just looked over at me and said, Bradley, you're starting the next half.
0: Bradley saw the Pennsylvania defensive back trying to cover Jerry Levias with Terry Hanratty. Terry Hanratty was a pretty good football player. He would go on to play quarterback at Notre Dame and even make All American. He would then back up Terry Bradshaw in Pittsburgh. But Terry Hanratty, a defensive back, trying to cover Jerry Levias? Well, that's a mismatch.
2: I knew he couldn't outrun Jerry. Jerry was the fastest man in the state, probably. So I get in the huddle, and I said, hey, look, we're going to run a quick 30 protection. And I want it to be an all-goal by the receivers. And I said, Jerry, I'm going to throw to you. And I threw it as far as I could. Jerry had to come back for the ball, but he had already gotten Terry beat for about 15, 20 yards. He had to come back for the ball. Get it, that's how fast he was. And he caught it, and then he went on and scored.
0: Building on that momentum, the Texas High School All-Stars then quickly forced Pennsylvania to punt. And the Texas High School All-Stars got the ball back. Texas circled around Bill Bradley in the huddle as he called the next play.
2: When I get back in the huddle, and I, know, I just go... Same old, same old, on one. (laughs) And they all knew what I was talking about, so we threw another touchdown.
0: Jerry wound up scoring 17 points in the 26-10 victory.
1: Yeah, (laughs) because I was kicking extra points, too.
0: UCLA coach Tommy Prothrow attended the game, hoping for a last-second pitch to convince Jerry to come to the Bruins.
1: Tommy Prothrow came to uh, the Big 33 to take me back to California. But Coach Fry got wind of it. He sent Coach Curtis down and Coach Brotho and Coach Curtis had a little entanglement. They had a little push and shove match.
0: After that incident at the Big 33 game, the SMU coaching staff didn't want to take any chances with UCLA having opportunities to convince Jerry to come out West. Jerry moved in with his aunt in Dallas.
1: So every day, a guy named Sleepy Morgan... Would come pick me up every day, ride me around.
0: Sleepy Morgan coached the SMU freshman football team. In those days, NCAA rules prohibited freshmen from playing varsity football except in very rare circumstances. Jerry and Coach Morgan drove around every day for about two weeks, spending a lot of time reading scripture.
1: And then finally, one day, he came in and threw some shoulder pads and some football gear into me and says, "You gonna play football again?" I'm go where? In the Oil Bowl in Wichita Falls.
0: The Oil Bowl was a high school all-star game between Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma's team integrated at least a year before. And Jerry said the Texas coach commented on how the sides were evened out with both teams having black players. SMU went to great lengths to keep Jerry's participation hidden from UCLA, right down to the printing of the game programs.
1: If you look at a program from that game, my name is spliced in.
0: After the Oil Bowl, Jerry enrolled at SMU, never having signed a national letter of intent. Coach Sleepy Morgan gave Jerry a Bible that he keeps to this day. We'll cover Jerry's groundbreaking and spectacular SMU career in Part 2. Before we close Part 1, however, it's important to note that only two years after Jerry earned a roster spot in the Big 33 game, Texas high school athletic programs took a major step. Bob West, former sports editor of the Port Arthur News, explains.
2: 1967 was a big year in Texas high school sports. The UIL allowed the schools in what was called the Prairie View Interscholastic League to compete against the basically white schools, and integration slowly began happening. When they came in, when they were allowed into the University Interscholastic League, uh, Hebert and Charlton Pollard totally dominated. I mean, they won one district championship after another. Jerry's school, Hebert, incidentally, was the first high school to ever play in a state playoff game in the Houston Astrodome. That was 1967, two years after Jerry left.
0: West adds that Jerry playing in the 1965 Big 33 game may have been a piece of the puzzle.
2: I think that helped lay the groundwork for merging the black schools into the University Interscholastic League. No question. In
0: 1970, the state of Texas lost a court case to the federal government. The decision, affirmed in 1971, ordered desegregation of over 1,000 Texas school districts, and according to the Bristol Center at the University of Texas, it's the largest series of desegregation orders in legal history. By that time, every college football team in the Southwest Conference had desegregated. Jerry Levias, the young man who overcame polio and needed help from a bag of rocks to pass his first weigh-in, pioneered the trail. In Part 2, we'll discuss Jerry's landmark burst into college football at SMU, as well as his NFL career and his life afterward. Thank you for listening to part one of In the Locker Room with Jerry Levias on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North.